from the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois. This is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hansen, along with Amber Servany, and a special guest in studio today, Betty Parquette. Betty, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. It's good to be here. You're welcome. You have an incredible story of conversion. You have an incredible story. You had two abortions and how the church and Rachel's Vineyard brought you unconditional healing. And we can't wait to hear all about it. So uh, if, if you know someone who has had an abortion, I know the statistics sometimes say one in three, one out of four women have an abortion. Um, there is healing available. Rachel's Vineyard is available. Just uh, before we get into Betty's story, go to dio.org and go to the pro-life page and you'll see an upcoming uh, Rachel's Vineyard, August 7th through the 9th. You can also call one eight seven seven rachel 5 uh, send that information to someone you know who has had an abortion because uh, Rachel's Vineyard provides uh, unbelievable healing. The stories that come out of there, and Betty's going to share that with us uh, later in this podcast. But uh, before we get to that, Betty, uh, you know, let's get into your story. Um, you've been public with this for for quite some time now. You you had two abortions, but let let's start at the beginning of of your of this uh, this this these incidents. What happened? And uh, take us back. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in a, in a conservative Baptist home and um, never believed in abortion and that, um, you know, sex was reserved for marriage. Um, but uh, a very, I would say I was a very insecure uh, young girl who didn't uh, know the intimacy that God wanted to have with me, um, that that relationship that to know that I am known by my creator, to know that I have value, that I'm loved. I, I did not understand that. I, I wanted it with him, but I didn't get it. So uh, I went off to college um, and instead of seeking the intimacy with the Lord, I began to in- seek that uh, amongst men, which was a great downfall. <laughs> And a, and a snowballing effect on how I continued to feel very poorly about myself and my worth. Um, and I uh, would say that I became a heavy drinker at that time and experimented in drugs. Uh, so I quit college and I came home and I didn't have any skills. And I um, went to work in manual labor. And I became involved with a man uh, who was abusive. I was in that relationship for about two years. Um, I did try, attempt to extract myself from that relationship, but uh, when I did, he would he would tell me that I would go back to the gutter that he picked me out of. And the sad thing is, is that I believed it. Um, so I continued to stay. And it was about a year into that relationship that I found that I was pregnant. And uh, I didn't want the abortion. Um, I, I, as I said, I didn't believe in abortion. And I actually, at that time, even named my child, you know, I, I named him Johnny. Um, and I really cried out to God uh, to save my child. And so, and so the, at this moment, you're, you're not seeking, your abortion's not even on your mind. No. Well, it was on my mind because the father was insisting upon it. Okay. So you started to get the pressure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Enormous pressure. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure as I look back that there were probably opportunities. I know there was one point in particular that I was in my apartment crying and I, 
I guess I was and and crying out to God, and I, I guess I must have been loud enough for a neighbor to come over and knock on the door and say, "Are you okay?" But I was so ashamed and so fearful that um, that I I couldn't let him in to my grief and what I was dealing with. So um, anyway, uh, I didn't see that sign. I really think that maybe you know God was trying to reach out to me there, but I didn't see it. So uh, I went in for this scheduled um, abortion, and I was convinced by the father and the the abortionists there, the people um, checking me in, that it was like, I don't know, pre, just cells, right? A clump Mm -hmm. of tissue that was um, not really pregnancy at all, not a child. Did you, at at that time, did you... Or did you accept that? Did you know? Did you know going in that this is a human being, or or, or did or did you not know that? And and you just took them at their word. Interiorly, I felt that this was a human being, but in my mind, I was such a naive person, and I didn't understand the the science of it and all of that. And I thought, well, surely they know more than I do. Mm-hmm. And almost self preservation, yes. right? You've got to. This is protecting yourself now. Yes. Yes. So. Um, I remember going into uh, before signing off for the procedure that this um, considered counselor that they would have that you meet with. And she said, are you sure you want this? And I said, no, I don't. But I don't have a choice. She never questioned that. She never offered me any other alternatives. And um, and I also want to say that, (laughs) sadly, there was no one praying outside at that time before I went in. And I so would have loved to have had someone praying for me or someone saying, I will help you. I'm here for you. What what city is this in? Um, It was in Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois. And of course, right now you live in Springfield, parishioner Mm -hmm. at Sacred Heart. Uh, um, So, so at this time, um, I mean, you, I know you you described this experience as a cold experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, what's it like having an abortion? Well, um, I don't know that I can put into words the pain of, there is physical pain of having your child's life sucked out of you, literally. Um, I don't know that I can really put that into words. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, You kind of shut down. And you're trying to focus on one thing. Okay, so here I'm looking up in the studio and there's this drop ceiling, right? This white drop ceiling. That's all, every drop ceiling I see, I think of that abortion. Because that's what I was focusing on to keep from panicking, to keep from crying out. I was crying, but, you know. Um, and it just leaves you devastated. Uh so, so after, yeah, and, and after the procedure, um, they take you into the back room to describe your emotions. Uh, you obviously don't feel a sense of relief. No. Um, no. What goes through your, what, what's going through your mind at, at that point? What I felt was a sense of loss of not only my child, but of God. Um, even though I had been living a very destructive way, uh, in my soul, I was always crying out to God and always wanting God's presence. And I just felt as if, um, 
I didn't sense it because of the way I was living and because I wasn't, uh, I guess at that time I wasn't really open to receive it. And, but I and, felt a bigger loss. I felt like God is gone now. And I know you, you've said as you enter that back room, the recovery room, mm-hmm. so to speak, I put it in quotes, mm-hmm. um, other women are there yeah. and they're, and they're crying. Right. Um, so the, the whole notion of this sets you free, mm-hmm. this is a freeing experience. It is the exact opposite. It was the opposite. A uh, recovery room, if you want to call it, that was a kind of a back room, cement floor, cots on the floor, all lined up with women on it crying and on every cot crying, just here's, here's some juice. Here's a cracker. When you feel up to it, leave, except that before you don't feel up to it, you don't feel recovered enough to leave. And then they come to you and say, we need the cot. You've got to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Because this is an assembly line. So so after you leave, you're, you're still with your abusive boyfriend. Um, Describe that the conversation you had with him and did you have, did you have the courage to leave him at that moment or, or what, what happened next? Uh, no, I didn't have the courage to leave then. And I would say that was because, um, now I felt completely worthless and no one's going to love me. And, um, so within now I want, I do want to say that, that the uh, abortion facility left me with a prescription for contraceptives, which I took for a short time, um, and they they failed, and I became pregnant again in less than six months um, of that time. So yes, I was still in that abusive relationship, and because it was, I guess, in my thoughts back then, better than nothing. Mm-hmm. So here you are again now, pregnant six months later. Uh, again, is is abortion in in your mind, or are you like, no, you know, I'm I'm not doing it this time. No, I didn't even take a lot of convincing at that point. Um, I was numb. I was emotionally, spiritually numb, and I just went ahead blindly. Now you first grew up in in a Baptist family, a faith filled family. Uh, did you tr- did you turn to your family at all for help? I did not. And, I was ashamed. And, and when looking back on it, especially when you talk to young women now, especially women who may be thinking about abortion, is your advice to reach out to your family? Don't feel that sense of ashamed because that they could be ultimately the ticket to yeah. to your freedom and to the joy. And they, they take you in with their with their love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was years later that my family found out um, and my mother said she was so sorry that she wasn't there for me. So my family would have been there for me, but I was afraid of losing. I thought they would be so ashamed of me. I'll lose even their love or whatever last thread of connection that I thought I had with them. And I was wrong. Mm. They would have been there. So now here you are at the abortion clinic for a second time. Right. Um, Describe that experience as best you can. Uh, As I said, I was, I was really numb. So I, I just went in without question. Um, as I was uh, on the table and examined by the abortionist, he said, I can't do this. You're too far along. And I said, what? He said, oh, no, it's just a big baby. This is the first time anyone has ever said to me, this is a baby. And... So your, your world is flipped upside down in that, in that split second. In that second. Yes. 
this abortionist just told, just, just said the pro-life argument in a second. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I wish that I could say that I came to my senses in that split second, but it was, he started the procedure and as this fog is lifting, I'm just hearing what he said. It's a baby. It's a baby. And, uh, how much, how much pressure, Betty, sorry, you have said the pressure from your boyfriend, but when you're in the clinic, um, how much pressure are you getting from the doctors and the nurses? Do do you feel like they, they, it's like, no, this, this is what you need to do. And we're almost going to, you're, you're, you're going to follow through on this. Uh, well, the pressure I got, um, especially at this point was when I told him to stop and he yelled at me, he told me to shut up. He told the nurse to hold me down and quiet me because I was telling him to stop. I don't want this. So that, that's a huge amount of pressure. I could not get off the table and leave and save my child. Um, Wow. I don't remember a lot of uh, conversation or talking of anybody trying to convince because I was there scheduled. Like I said, I kind of went in numb. But the very fact that you told the doctor to stop and he didn't is, it's just, I mean, all I can say is, wow. I mean, there's there's so many things wrong with that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, um, so now, you know, you have, you have your second abortion now. Um, is, is it the same senses of, of worthlessness at that point? Or did that, did that life, that baby flip a switch for you at all and be like, I'm not doing this again? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I knew I would never do that again under any circumstances. And, um, I can say that you know, from this point, reflecting back as I look at all the arguments, whether it's for the life of the mother or, um, you know, a, a rape or, or whatever the argument is, it doesn't matter. There isn't any argument that could convince me that it's okay to kill a child for any reason. So as you leave the abortion clinic, um, you're still with your, your boyfriend. Um, you're um, describe your senses, describe your emotions. And, um, are, are you feeling any sort of confidence of, of, I, I need to break up. I need to break free. Or is, is you, are you still just completely down in the dumps? I was down in the dumps, but I knew that I needed to escape this. I, I knew I needed out. I just didn't know how that was going to happen. It probably took another um, six months at least before I left. Okay. You broke up with him. So, so now, now you're, you broke up with him and, um, where are you at in this point of your life? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you also a, a sense of faith. Do you, you, you believe, obviously you believe in God, but are you going to church? Are you turning to him? Is prayer a part of your life? Um, yeah, prayer was a part of my life, but I wouldn't say I was really consistent with church. It was like, so, um, uh, I, I just kind of church jumped for a really long time. And, um, you, and then the funny thing is I was a Baptist and I would drive by Catholic churches and think, oh, I wish I could go in and talk to a priest, but I know he can't absolve me. So I can't, I, I couldn't, uh, emotionally take that. Right. I, because I knew interiorly I needed someone to tell me that I'm forgiven, but I needed words with authority, right? So I would, at the different churches that I would go to through time, I always made an appointment at some point with the pastor and talk to him and tell him some of my story. And 
and um, my grief. And he'd tell me I was forgiven, but um, it was never enough. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted a voice with authority. I didn't understand what that was at that time. Were you, were you intimidated of going in by going in there? I mean, obviously you mentioned you're not going to get, you know, formal absolution because you're not Catholic, but (laughs) was there, was there, that's just this, this, you know, this invisible wall that says, I just, uh, I, it wasn't intimidation. It was, I can't take another rejection. I can't. And I, and I'm, I'm sure I didn't understand that at the time. I'm sure that there would have been good counsel for me. Um, but I wanted to hear those words of absolution, whatever they were in my naive Baptist <laughs> girl's mind. <laughs> so, so at this point in your life, obviously you're, you're still struggling internally with your faith. Um, but then you meet somebody, you meet Greg. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Um, and it was at a point where, because after, um, I had left this abusive man, uh, there was still, there's still the symptoms of someone who's post-abortive of, um, being promiscuous, of in and out of relationships, of alcohol use, you know, uh, abuse, I should say, and so on. Um, and I got to the point where I thought, I'm done with this. I can't live this way anymore. And I need, I need to do things your way, God. I just don't know what it looks like. Um, and at this time is when I met my husband, Greg. Yes. My now husband. Mm-hmm. No. So no, no. Describe Greg because he was, he, he grew up Catholic he did. and he fell away. And so when you met him, was he at this mo- point in his life where he wasn't going to mass? Wasn't right. really. So, so right. you, so you meet him. Did you guys, first of all, when, when you tell him about your story mm-hmm. and, and the two abortions, mm-hmm. what was his reaction? He understood my need to grieve. You know, the, um, prior to that, it had been, the, you know, the world is telling you, you, what's wrong with you? You've got nothing to be sorry for. This was your right. Get over it. Um, and then you're fearful of going to other people around you and uh, being judged um, and not forgiven. He understood I needed to grieve. So he was um, very helpful, very patient, still is. <laughs> How long did it take you to tell him? Um I don't think it took long at all. I think he knew uh, in the in the first couple of months. Yeah. So how, how much how much were you two talking about faith at that point? And and did he and you know, he of course admitted, well, you know, I grew up Catholic, but I don't really go. And and, and was he ultimately the instrument that brought you to Catholicism? <laughs> That's another story in itself. <laughs> um, That's what's so interesting about about your. I mean, you've you've had you've had multiple conversions, obviously yeah. the, the, the abortion conversion to life, mm-hmm. but the conversion to Catholicism and it's all kind of wrapped together too. It is. It is. Um, no, I, I was, uh, still had enough of that Baptist upbringing. I was, I, I grew up pretty anti-Catholic. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And really quick, what, what, what did you hate about Catholicism or what was, what was your beef? Oh, they worship idols, you know, uh, they worship yeah. Mary. They go to the, to a, a you know, priests instead of God, you know, to confess their sins and all of that. So that's fascinating. So you grew yeah. up thinking the whole confession thing yeah. is outrageous. Yeah. And now here you are in your life craving. Oh that. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> well, because you have a false notion, you're brought up with a false notion of what all of this is. And, mm. and, um, and as you kind of study your way in, um, and all of the hurdles that are there are just kind of falling away. 
um, and you see truth, you just run to it. So yeah. you, so, so now, uh, so you're with Greg and you're like, I'm, I'm f- starting to feel this Catholicism thing. Tell me more. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, like, you're no. not going to mass. I'm not going to you. All right, no, no, buddy. No. <laughs> <laughs> he, no, he wasn't going to mass and he was, fo- he was outside the church. He was following me around to different, like I said, church jumping, you know, and, uh, my my brother and sister in law were studying Catholicism at the time, and um, and I'm very indebted to them for being patient with me and uh, helping me on my journey. Um, but uh, uh, my sister in law grew up in the same church that we did, and they're the family taking the notes of mm. the sermons. You know, they're very studied. Not a lot of note taking in Catholic churches. <laughs> Well, they're very studied people and studious. And I knew that their decision to do this wasn't um, uh, wasn't light and that they were very prayerful. And I found myself in a very unique situation in my family of defending their decision to become Catholic while not understanding myself why. Mm. So they would send me home with books and tapes and I would listen to them and um, I started watching EWTN <laughs> and Greg would walk in and say, what are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> so as I, as I found myself um, closer and closer to the truth and I knew one day I would be Catholic, I didn't know how and when, but I kind of was starting to have that craving. I said, you have your reasons for having left and you've got to sort that out with God, I've got nothing to say on this. And little did I know at that time that when he was out of town, he was sneaking to Catholic churches, going to mass, <laughs> feeling like this is home. <laughs> That's when he felt safe to tell me. <laughs> was, was he like, obviously, was he ecstatic? Like, oh my gosh, yes. I, I, I love that you're coming on board. Uh no, I would say he was very quiet and patient because um, he was going through a, a, a reversion, okay. you know, for mm-hmm. himself and relearning his faith. Um, but he felt free to explore it now on his own. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, so Greg returned to the faith 2004, mm-hmm. you converted and became Catholic in 2005, right. uh, ultimately Describe that first confession then, because that's what you craved years before Yeah, as you were church shopping, but you couldn't, you couldn't get, get over that hump. I mean, what was that confession like? Okay. All right. Well, just, just before this, okay. Uh, maybe the year before, uh, I really thought that my sin of abortion was going to be the rug pulled out from under me and the church wouldn't want me because I'm too bad. And I, um, actually went and talked to, I don't even know who the priest was, uh, nobody from around here. I just... Where are you living at this point? I was living in Pawnee. In Pawnee, okay. Mm-hmm. And I was out of town, and I stopped by a church, knocked on the door, and said, I have to talk to a priest. And told him what my fear was. You know, I'm looking, I want to be Catholic, and but I've had these abortions, and will they want me? <laughs> <laughs> he said, when you get back to town you need to look up this priest. And he wrote down the name of this priest. And I said, okay. But I didn't do it. Uh, there was still these, I was like two steps forward, one step back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came home 
and from two other sources, unbeknownst to this priest, um, I was hearing his name again. So I finally, when I was ready, I looked him up. It's Monsignor Heffler. And he listened to my story for two hours. I promise I won't keep you here that long today. (laughs) But he listened to me for two hours and he said, thank you for the privilege of hearing your story. I still wants to bring tears to my eyes. <laughs> like, did you hear what I just said? <laughs> so when we were done talking and he prayed so beautifully, um, I said, now, do I have to say this all over again at my first confession? Or is this, are we good? It's <laughs> like, no, you're going to have to do it. Yeah. Okay. But now that I understood what, what confession was all about, um, first off, I thought, I'm going to be at the end of the line (laughs) because it's going to take a long time for me to go through my confession. And then I thought, no, I'm going to be the first one in line because then if I forgot anything, I can go back to the end again and I'll go through. See, That's that's what I always say. And all the sins I have forgotten, I tack that on at the end of my confession. Oh, I do that now. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I I wanted to make this as clean, as late as I could. So yeah, I was running to it. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, and I've, I've heard you use that phrase before. I'm, I was running to confession. I mean, such a refreshing take on the sacrament mm-hmm. that unfortunately so few Catholics t- take advantage of. Yeah. And so you're in the confessional, you you confess your sins, you mm-hmm. you admit to your abortions, you come back out. Did did, did the layers peel off at that point? Um, Half the layers? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I've never felt the need to ever have to confess that again, like I had been. There was so much peace that I received with that and it's the outpouring of love and mercy. Um, but the healing of the pain um, of abortion is so deep. And one thing that Father Monsignor Heffler told me was that sometimes you have to reopen the wound to get the infection out to apply the salve. So I found that to be true, especially with each year around um, the time of the abortions was December, at least the first one, um, that this would all start coming to the surface again. I think that's really typical of of most post-abortive women is that, you know, on anniversary dates and or, uh, you know, the date that their child would have been born, that they're going through a real hard time. Um, So. Those those kind of things started happening to me with regularity after becoming Catholic. And I don't say that to scare anybody. I say it that God was rooting out all of that infection. He wants to heal me to the core. And it took me some years, but I look forward to those times now because I know that he's bringing me further and further into his abundant mercy when you when you think back, how ironic is it that you hated the Catholic Church, yeah. and yet the Catholic Church is what ultimately brought you the healing and love and support that you so craved? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I know, but God uses us with all of our senses, right? Mm-hmm. So I needed to hear with the words from someone with authority, right? And and that um, and confession. I can't, I can't get to the bottom of this. I don't think we ever can, but, uh, jumping into Catholicism, getting your feet wet 
and all of that, you can never be bored. <laughs> There's always something more, something new, somewhere deeper that God wants to take us so that we have that intimate relationship he wants to have with us. And he healed you in a way that it seems like um, he's had some pretty big plans for you. You've done, you've been able to now take your story and, and really share it and help so many other women in, in many ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I want to confess that right up front, even though I wanted God to use this, I was really fearful. Uh, I would say fear defined lots of my youth, you know, much of my youth and, um, and then with everything I'd been through, it was just being, you know, compiled on and Satan really likes to, you know, keep us caged in that fear. Um, but this is one of the things that God was doing throughout the years was just rooting out all of that fear and talking in front of people was certainly something I would never <laughs> want to do. Um, and he just was healing me of so much. I would rather sing in front of people, to be honest. <laughs> the notes are there. The words are out there for me. Um, and actually, he did use that as I became a cancer in church, that um, this was a way of putting me out and, and stripping away some of that fear so that one day I could get up and tell my story. Um, and, and part of that was Rachel's Vineyard. Yes. Um, which was kind of in 2018, if I, if I remember correctly, um, you were, you were asked to be a part of Rachel's Vineyard, um, but you said you wanted to go through the process, process first. Um, and and so, so really quick, and we said at the beginning of the show, um, you went to Rachel's Vineyard and would it be fair to say it was almost kind of, did did it, did it strip those last remaining layers off of you Mm -hmm. of any sort of guilt? And then when you left that weekend, you were like 100% free. I was free. Descri- yes. Describe that relationship. So yeah. again, for, for people who who know someone who's had an abortion or if they're listening and they have had an abortion, encourage them to go to Rachel's Vineyard. And again, our diocese has one coming up August 7th through the 9th. You can find it on our dial website, dio.org. Go to the Pro-Life Ministries page. It's all right there. Um, describe that weekend and the healing that took place. Uh, to be quite honest, even though I felt as if I was, I was already free, right? When I walked in, um, and this was in the, the one I went to was in the Peoria Diocese. And I walked in and you kind of look at the faces and you go, okay, who here is here part of the team? Who's post-abortive? Are they post-abortive? You know, you're just kind of feeling uh, um, scrutinized almost. Mm. Uh, and and it makes you feel a bit insecure. And But they're very welcoming. Very welcoming and and they dispel those fears quite quickly. Um, the joy that you see, and not this isn't just me. This is other women coming in, having the same looks on their faces, right? And and they they want the hope of being freed from this, and just don't know. Maybe they're skeptical of how this is going to work, how it's going to happen. Um, but it, it's a it's a step by step grieving process that you go through in the correct order, and and where you're, you know, you're being able to, you're allowed to tell your story, and there are people there willing to listen, lovingly to hear your story and offer God's mercy. Um, so you go through this step by step grieving process, um, and it's all just saturated in scripture 
And, you know, you can kind of visibly see it on each participant's face. Just the melting going away. Yes, it's going away. You're not alone. And there is hope for you. By the time the weekend's done, these women, I was joyful and thankful to be amongst their company. Um, And then you want... so. So, I say the, the, the freedom always seems to be the key word. Yeah. Uh, people who go to Rachel's Vineyard is is freeing. Yeah. It's just that guilt wiped away, that sense of 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 I I can I can move on with my life. Right. Um. Did you name your children at this point? Were they always in your heart and mind, or, or was it, did this happen at well, the retreat? Well, I had named, like I said, I named my first child right away, Johnny. The second one came through a, a short period of counseling that I had gone through um, before I met my husband. It took me a long time to name uh, that child. I named her Ruth. Um, but it is part of the healing process in Rachel's Vineyard to be able to name your children. It's a really important thing to do because you are um, acknowledging their life and their dignity as a child of God. So now here we are in 2018, you go through Rachel's Vineyard and now here we are and you have gone much more public with your story. You've written a book, you've done other podcasts, um, and you're out praying in front of Planned Parenthood here in yeah. Springfield. What's, uh, describe your sign and you've had some very positive interactions with folks who are going in and out of Planned Parenthood. I have, I have. So, uh, you know, there was a day when I thought I can't stand out there, not where they're doing abortions. Cause I know the pain of what's going on inside. I'm just going to crumble. I can't physically stand. Right. But thanks be to God (laughs) that I am free and I can stand there. And because um, it's public and my children, I have to say my children know this now. This was part of uh, the the fear of speaking is that my children need to know before anybody else. They need to know from me. So now that they do. um, You have three children, two mm -hmm. uh, older sons and then a younger daughter. Yes. Yes. So now, and my daughter does come out with me. She's 11. She comes out with me to pray and she's proud to stand next to me. And I, I have a sign. I I started with um, one that I just made with, you know, a big piece of cardboard and (laughs) colors, you know, that says, um, um, I've been in your shoes, you know, and, and I'm here to help. So, you know, can I help you? I still miss my children. Right. And uh, one of the prayer warriors that's out there with me decided she was going to make it more official. So she went and got it, you know, <laughs> nicely printed and, and, and good stock for me. So that's what I carry. And uh, it does um, come with some interesting conversations. People kind of single me out. Like, why are you doing this? And uh, oftentimes the people are either they have had someone um, like their mother maybe had an abortion um, before them, before they had this, because this was a particular conversation I had with a young man out there that he confessed that his mom had had an abortion. Another woman drove in just to tell me, actually, she said, I can give you some prayers that you can pray at home out of the cold. And I was like, no, I'm good out here. <laughs> and and she would, she would consider herself on the um, pro-abortion side. And after our conversation, she went around, turned, came out, and she stopped again and said um, that she had had an abortion. And she says, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I'm like, well, I'm grateful you did. I'm thankful you did. Now I can pray for you, you know. 
And uh, so there's a lot of good conversations that come out of it. We've had some saves out there, which is great. And I said, do you you ever think, um, this is hard for me to say, but you know, you had your, you had two abortions and God is almost using your abortions to save others Mm -hmm. and the impact that's having and the amount of lives you could be saving unbeknownst to you because of your choice. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think, and I I don't dwell on it, the ripple effect of my sins have affected so many people, right? Especially those of my children. And I pray to be around long enough that the ripple effect of his grace and mercy in my life, you know, just is unceasing, right? Um, I want to live that way. And it is humbling. It's startling to me sometimes to see that he uses me or chooses to use me. But I think that the reason is that I'm just saying, yes, it doesn't matter what he has for me today. There isn't any reason to fear anything, because if this is his plan, uh, you know, sign me up. I want to do this. I want to help. I want to end this. I don't want to see people in pain for years like I have been. Um, I would rather do my part in ending this atrocity and in bringing healing to those who have gone through it. Um, yeah, I think that's a power, powerful point because you're definitely saving babies, but the, the healing that comes to these women who have that you're praying for, I mean, that's right. immense. Imagine in your life too, if you know, you had the, the sense of prayer and support, you know, for women who have done this because their life will go on and, and someone's going to be there for them. Right. There have been so many times that I have shared my story um, and I started out small. I might start out talking to RCIA groups or you know some sort of church group. There's always someone who comes up to me and maybe for the first time utters that they've had an abortion. They've never told anybody before. It may have been 30 years ago. And they've been holding that pain inside for all of these years. And I, I liken it to a silent scream. You're afraid to let out. You can't let anybody see your grief. You can't let them see what you've done. What will they think of you? And they need to know that, you know, to not be afraid to approach, approach people around them and that we're ready and willing to be that instrument of God's mercy to them to, to begin that healing process. It's an incredible story. So before we wrap up, um, describe where you are today. Uh, Greg is a deacon at Sacred Heart uh, in Springfield. That's where you guys are parishioners. Um, and you have the, your, uh, the ages of your sons and your daughter. Um, so my son Brent is uh, just about 24 and his wife, beautiful wife, Devin. They have two beautiful little girls, um, one and six weeks, something <laughs> like that. And uh, our son Reese, who is 20, who um, wants to... Uh, be in filmmaking at some point. And thanks, thanks to him and his artistic mind is how part of my story got out because he made a film on God's mercy and interviewed me. And, and that was shown on e- EWTN, correct? It was shown on EWTN in uh, 2018. Okay. Right. Um, and uh, when that was shown, then, then Father Jim Isaacson um, wisely told me that I need to tell Veronica 
And um, who's your daughter? Yes, my daughter, who is 11, who is amazing. Like I said, you know, there's not any reasons to ever consider it. Sorry, a little aside here. You know, if they try to tell you you're too old to have children, don't believe it. How old were you? 47. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) And it was the healthiest pregnancy I ever (laughs) had. Yeah. I had the privilege of meeting your daughter and she is an utter sweetheart and has a heart of gold. And she is like 100% prayer warrior. Let's convince women that life is beautiful and she's helping you and making bracelets for these women. I mean, it is so wonderful to see. She raised, I think it was 250, maybe $300 just from donations from these little bracelets (laughs) to give to Springfield Right to Life. Excellent. Yeah. She's still on it. She was making them last night. <laughs> nice. So yeah, we're, we're all over at, um, Sacred Heart and I'm a cancer there and Veronica's beginning to sing as well with us. And, um, I don't know if you could have shown me, you know, 40 years ago where I would be today. Uh, if God would have shown me that I probably would have said, nah, and given up because that's impossible. I can't do that. I, I'm not that, mm. but it's not me. I don't have to do it. I just say yes. The other thing about your story is you also brought Greg back to the faith too. Yeah. So it's like a two for one combo deal. Right. Right. <laughs> right. We, we thought we would be long gone from Illinois, by this point, <laughs> but there was a reason to stay. And I'm so, so thankful. We're glad, we're glad you stayed. Thank you for sharing your story. I know that's never difficult, but um, it's incredibly uplifting and positive, and I hope it you know changes minds, hearts, and souls. So, Betty Parkett, thanks for coming in. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. This has been Dive Deep. If you'd like more podcasts, go to dio.org slash podcast, and we will see you next time. <laughs>